0: From Southern California. This is the Jim Rome Show.
1: Anybody who says that they saw this Final Four coming is a liar and a felon. You're a liar. You are a felon. I mean, is there even one single bracket anywhere in the world that has this Final Four? I'm going to say no, right? Like, I can't document that, but I'm going to say no. I'm talking about any bracket, one single bracket. In the entire world that has these four. I'm going to say you're a liar and a felon. You're a felon. And what would that be worth, actually? A billion? Two billion? But that said, I love it. It's absolute chaos. Couldn't love it any more than I do. UConn, FAU, Miami, San Diego State. The unlikeliest Final Four ever. A year ago, we had Duke, UNC, Kansas and Villanova, like the most likely Final Four ever. The bluest of the Blue Bloods and one of the most likely Final Fours of all time. This year, we have just the opposite of that. Now, question is, is this the new normal? Like the landscape has changed, right? Is this the new normal? Will we see more of this? I doubt it, which makes it even more awesome right now. Three first-time programs in the Final Four. No number ones, no number twos, not even a number three, which has never happened since they started seeding. There has not been a tournament since 1979 that did not feature at least one top three seed in the Final Four until now. No, And that, that's not it, right? No top three seeds, no McDonald's All-Americans either. Just four damn good teams and red hot basketball teams and all four deserve love and all four are going to get their shine today. Starting with San Diego State. Yes, I want to start with San Diego State. They blow my mind on so many different levels and it's not because the team hails from the finest city in America and San Diego is that, is that, how do I know? When you drive into San Diego, there's a gigantic sign that says America's finest city. So if they say so, it must be so. And having lived there as long as I did, it may be so. However, it's not a SoCal thing. This is much bigger than a SoCal thing. San Diego State basically became America's team on Friday night. Why do I say that? Because they stomped the hell out of America's leastable team. That's why. Turns out Alabama was in the wrong spot. At the wrong time on Friday night. Unless the Tide wanted to show up, play like garbage, and get their asses run right out of the tournament. Then they were in the right spot at the right time. Then they got exactly what they were looking for. Man, I hope that was all worth it, Bama. Minimizing a lethal shooting involving a number of your players only to come up way short in the tournament. Way short. Not that winning the tournament would have made any of that okay. But you didn't win. And you didn't come close. Way to compromise the integrity of the program and the school and the conference only to fall right on your faces. You even got Nick Saban all red-assed. And for what? A Sweet 16 appearance? All of that for a Sweet 16 appearance. Hope that was worth it. Although I know it wasn't. I understand that head coach Nate Oates has a, quote, win at all costs mentality. Not that that's ever really a good thing, but it really doesn't work when you don't win or even come close to winning and you completely compromise your integrity, the program's integrity, and everybody else's integrity in the process. I said all along they could not have handled a tragedy off the court Any worse than they did. Then they went out and they got their doors blown on the court. Once again, Bama. Hope that was all worth it. Except I know it's not. And the second SDSU knocked you out, they became everybody's favorite team. I mean, look, it was always going to be hard for the Aztecs to top beating Bama. Because that was essentially the best moment of the entire tournament so far. But then the thriller against Creighton came pretty close, at least until the very end, because that's when it all became about the ref show. You hate that. I mean, there's nothing not to hate about the ref show. I hate talking about the ref show. I'm not here to pile on. I'm not here for the easy, convenient clicks. I hate that. But we have no choice. San Diego State had the ball with 6.7 seconds left in a tie game with a trip to the Final Four on the line. I'm sure all of you have seen it, but in case you haven't, this is what happened next.
0: San Diego State looking for the win. Butler, get it in. A rope, hands it to Trammell. Three seconds, two seconds. Trammell drives. He's fouled. Darion Trammell will go to the free throw line.
1: All right, so where do I come out on that? That's a foul. That's a foul. That's a foul. Listen, it just is. It's a foul. It is. You can argue that the call was not consistent with the way the rest of the game had been officiated. I will listen to that argument. And no, you hate to see a game, any game, much less that game, a game that important end on a call like that. I get that too. I can see where Creighton coach, Creighton player, Creighton fan would have a real issue with that. I understand that. But here's what I have to say to all of that. That's a foul. That is a foul. No, maybe it's a foul that refs generally will not call in that situation. But technically, by definition, that was absolutely a foul. And that call did not cost you the game. Just like one bad call generally never costs any team, any game. Creighton fan, I know you're bent but you shot 2 of 17 from beyond the arc. You had multiple chances to pull away in the second half, and you didn't do it. You also got a free bucket to tie that game late. A few seconds earlier in one of the worst inbound plays ever, ever. If you haven't seen this play yet, prepare yourself because it is pretty excruciating.
2: Last trip, so now they can go one-on-one
1: and try to get it in. Oh, look at this! Still! tie game. I mean, I'm still not exactly sure how that happened. It was like they saw the Mavs fail to defend their own basket last week and said, hold my beer, and said, what if we took it one step further and actually passed it right to the other team, right under our own basket? Here is a free bucket to tie a game in the final minute of a regional final of the NCAA tournament. You're welcome. You're welcome. My point is, Creighton, you had your chances. A questionable call did not go your way, but that's not why you lost that game. You lost because you couldn't finish. You lost because San Diego State was just tougher, just more physical, and deed the hell up. You know all those things that Brian Dutcher and his teams are known for. So instead of blaming the refs, give San Diego State some bleeping credit. I mean, for real. For real. And just keep moving. Just keep moving. Again. I hate the way that game ended, but that's not why you lost. And how about my guy Dutch? This guy spent over three decades as an assistant before finally getting a head coaching shot. He spent 18 years at San Diego State alone before he got that head coaching job. And now my man's got the Aztecs in the Final Four for the first time ever. In fact, that conference has never even had a team in the Final Four. Stunning. Stunning. But not even the most stunning thing about the Final Four. That's the amazing thing. FAU is in the Final Four. And I don't think I've ever done this before. So let me enjoy this one. Let me lay out and ask this question because I don't think I ever have. Yo, Boca! How y'all living? Boca Raton, Florida. I mean, from never having won a single NCAA tournament game to the Final Four, is that any good? Is that any insane? And while everybody wants to slam that Cinderella label on them, I get it, but it really doesn't fit. Yes, there are nine. Yes, they have never won a tournament game prior to this year. But in relative terms, I mean, the fact is, in relative terms, they haven't even played D1 ball that long. The program really is relatively new given what we're talking about here. However, however, not to smash that glass slipper, but they're not wearing one. Those who know, know. Those who know, know that this is a team that has won 35 games and rolled right through the regular season and the conference tournament, and that they were built to do damage in the NCAA tournament. There were expectations for this team coming into this season considering who they returned. Maybe not Final Four damage, but damage nonetheless. And I don't want to hear about how lucky they are or about how many others got worked, which broke the bracket wide open for FAU. You can't luck or fluke your way to four tournament wins in a row. They're legit. And while the entire world is shocked that they're the ones who are going to be in Houston, I guarantee they're not. They play every game like a team that expects to win every game. They play like a team that has won 35 teams times already this year. They look like a team. Honestly, they carry themselves and they look like a team that can, in fact, win two more games. But no, don't take my word for it. Take it from the dude that they beat on Saturday. Take it from K-State coach Jerome Tang.
0: Your toughness, your togetherness, your ability to make plays for each other, right? Like the way you communicate with each other. There's n- Nobody can beat y'all, right? Nobody can. So just stay together. Don't get distracted between now and then, all right? Stay locked in. Keep doing what you're doing. Y'all are the toughest son of a guns we played all year long. Uh, just proud of yummy all be rooting Appreciate for you. That. All right?
1: How's that for class? How wild is that? That's the opposing coach who just suffered a gut-wrenching loss going to the other locker room where they're celebrating to tell them congratulations, y'all are amazing. But Then again, that's how good Dusty Mays' owls are. And you will hear directly from Dusty when he joins me once again in hour number three. So stay tuned for that. Yes, the jungle karma is flowing in South Florida because it's not just Dusty May. Jim Laranega got some too. And now Miami is in their first ever Final Four. Miami and FAU are about an hour apart. An easy drive down I-95. The drive from Durham to Chapel Hill used to be the epicenter of the sport. Apparently now that epicenter is somewhere between Fort Lauderdale and and Boca, wherever they are. I'm telling you, Key West. Key West, Boca! I want to hear from you. West Palm Beach, Florida man. It's unbelievable. It's only fitting, too, that the legend Laranaga clinched another Final Four berth on the 17th anniversary of taking George Mason to their first and only Final Four. Anyone who takes two separate programs to the Final Four is an amazing coach. However, if you take those two programs, if you take George Mason and Miami to the final four, you're an all time great. Honestly. But the team that I really cannot overlook is you, you, you UConn. <laughs> looking in 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 inevitable. Inevitable. Looking like they're gonna smash their way to another national championship. There is your one blue blood. There is the one you expect to be there. These dudes absolutely hammered a good Gonzaga team on Saturday to complete one of the more convincing Final Four runs I've ever seen. Check out these wins. First round over Rick Patino and Iona. Second round over Randy Bennett and St. Mary's. Bennett. Then they beat E. Mus in Arkansas in the Sweet 16. Then they crushed Mark Few in Gonzaga this weekend. UConn has won by an average of 22.5 points in this tourney. They have dominated the second half by combined 174 to 107. And they left Las Vegas this weekend as the Vegas darling at minus 125 to win it all. Hey now, are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty. It's tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire, and it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you and clones. If you don't see it, just ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what is your beef? Dusty May is my guest. Dusty, it's great to have you back. How you doing right now, Coach?
3: I'm doing great, Jim. It's great to be back. It
1: means it's- we're still alive. You are still alive and looking really good, and it's great to have you back. Thanks for making time. Hey, listen, I know you've got some unfinished business, and it's an incredible opportunity in front of you, but I've got to ask you about the end of that game and the post-game interview. I thought that was so awesome that you would not consent to the post-game interview so you were surrounded by your entire team. Why was that so important to you? Just because it's been such a group
3: effort all year. Uh, we have a true collaboration amongst players and staff, and it's just a moment that we should all share together. I didn't really want to go off by myself, uh, and I didn't want the Blairs to be off doing their thing. I wanted us to do one thing together and let these guys, let the cameras be on our guys and just share the moment with them because um, it's a special time for our program.
1: Dusty May is joining us. You know, I thought there was another amazing moment after that game when Kansas State head Coach Jerome Tang came by your locker room to offer his congratulations and briefly address your team. I mean, amazing thing, right, given how gut-wrenching that loss must have been for him. What was his message to your team, and what's that say about him that he made a point to come by and congratulate your guys and pump them up?
3: Well, guys like Coach Tang are great for the profession. They're, they're positive. They make it about the players. And he just told our guys what he saw. And, and to be honest, he's one of numerous coaches that have done that this year, which is an example of how truly special our group is and the way they play, the way they act, the way they carry themselves. Uh, Coach Barnes from Tennessee said almost identical identical sentiment. He just didn't tell our team. He told our staff after the game something very similar. So, once again, it's a tribute to who our guys are as people and as teammates because, like I said, that's happened several times this
1: year. The fact that that's happened so many times really says so much about you and what you've built and that team and what those guys are like individually and collectively. You know, we're talking about this, so let me just ask you point blank. What do you like best about this group?
3: their unselfishness and their work ethic. Those two things go hand in hand. They, I've never been around a group. I've been, I've been on a Division I staff for 20-plus years. I've never been around a group that, that the guys work with with so much intention and so much effort almost every single day.
1: Jesse, What is that? I mean, did you recruit that? Did they kind of come to that conclusion and teach it to each other? How is that that after 20 years you've never seen a group that gets it the way this group gets it?
3: It's funny to ask, Jim, we were talking about last night. We're, we're not sure if it's divine intervention or if it's just a group of like-minded people that were naturally attracted to each other. We like them for whatever reason, and they liked us for whatever reason. And then you get together and things just really, really mesh and, and, and we cover for each other. We all have holes in our game. We all have holes in our personality. It just seems like this team, we all complement each other well and understand that we are all flawed, but we can pick up the slack for our teammates. mates.
1: Dusty May is joining us. You know, it seems to me it's one thing that they all like each other and they like you and you like them. That's great, right? That's great. But it doesn't mean they like the process. It doesn't mean they like to grind. It doesn't mean they like to work hard every single day, all day. That's a different element altogether, right?
3: Absolutely. And I think probably the the thing that separates these guys is their competitive spirit. They really, really want to win and they love to compete. So they're never scared of the moment. And if you love to compete and you love to win, then you're going to put in the work because you believe it's necessary to, to do the work in advance. So like I said, all that stuff is rolled into one, but it's, it's without a doubt, the team character has, is our separator. It's, it's not our individual talent. It's not our coaching. It's all of us together. And, uh, that, that those are the things that have made us us.
1: Dusty May is joining us right now. I would imagine, given everything you just laid out, all the intangibles and all the integrity and as badly as they want it, I mean, it seems like this question doesn't really make sense, but I would imagine that when you consider what they've accomplished already, that is there a thing whereby you've got to remind them, hey, listen, this is absolutely incredible, the run of a lifetime, but there is still this amazing opportunity in front of us. You want to make sure you keep your foot on the gas. You want to make sure you block out all the noise and distractions. You want to maintain the integrity intensity necessary to meet this opportunity. Is this something that you've been talking to them about, or maybe you don't even need to at this point?
3: No, that's all we've been talking about, and we probably don't need to as much as we do because once the ball's thrown up, they compete at such a high level. But we did feel like there's so many distractions now with tickets and, and, and people coming out of the woodwork that haven't, they haven't spoke to in a long time that want some of their attention or what, whatever it is that they want. And so we've just talked about whoever handles all the distractions leading up to the event is, is who's going to ultimately win the game. Uh, but I, I know for 40 minutes they're going to compete like crazy on Saturday, but we, we have addressed those issues because we need to make sure our preparation, our intensity, our focus every day up to that is, is on the same standards that, that they've worked with all season.
1: See, Dusty, I think so because it's if you've not been through it before, you wouldn't know how to handle it before unless you've got this rare breed of character and focus like that. That seems to me to be a real thing. Like if you're in it every single year and you've got, I mean, you've got the veteran talent, but if they've never been through something like this before, how do they block all that out?
3: Well, Jim, I, during our 20 game winning streak, I watched, our staff, we would observe our guys closely and just to see if they would act differently, if they would prepare differently, or if they'd start filling themselves and not putting in the same type of, of focus and, and, and intentionality that they had up to this point. And nothing changed except they, they worked a little bit harder. And they enjoyed it so much that they focused more on film, and, they, fo- and they, they did extra reps in the weight room. So it's, been, it, it's really rewarding when they respond to success even better than they respond to adversity. Because we knew this this group last year, they responded to adversity. We just didn't handle success near, nearly as well. And so these guys have handled success for five months, and, and I, I can't see any way that that changes uh, this week despite the extra attention. Well,
1: I appreciate and, uh, that response. Dusty May joining us. You, know, you mentioned that last year they didn't really necessarily handle the success as well as they could have. Look, you knew what you had coming back. You knew you had a really good team coming back. I'm curious, given what you accomplished in the regular season, given what you accomplished in the conference tournament, when the committee hit you with that ninth seed, Dusty, did you think they just don't know? They don't know how good we are. Or maybe for one split moment, did you think for yourself – you know what we're a ninth seed, maybe we're not as good as I think we are.
3: No, I never thought that Jim, just because of our body of work. I did think that it, it it's really difficult to see teams and there's there's so many the, the goalpost is always moving because I thought Memphis was terribly underseated as well so to, just to be fair to, to to us and to them, I thought both teams were were extremely underseated, but none of that matters because we can't control that um, what i my first emotion was. I thought we were already in going into the conference tournament. And then after we beat Western Kentucky in the first round, I thought we're definitely in. And then obviously we win the next game versus a, a good middle Tennessee state. And I'm thinking, all right, now it's house money. We can just focus on beating UAB. All the pressure's on them. We can just go out and hoop. But well, when that ninth seed came out, I was like, maybe I was a little bit off. We might not have been in if we, did, if we didn't at least win a game or two in the conference tournament. So, it might allow us to play a little bit looser, but I, I was probably uh, much too confident in that, in that situation in
1: hindsight. I think that's a wild story. <laughs> like it, Maybe it's a good thing we won that thing or we won a couple of games. So, Dusty, what about San Diego State? Knowing you and the way you approach it and the way you coach – I I know you respect the way they get after it, man, the way they get after it defensively, the way they hit the glass. I mean, they're like a throwback. They are old school. When you look at their film, what are the biggest challenges that you think they represent or present to you?
3: Well, you said old school. I would say they're old. They have a veteran group, and they're well schooled. (laughs) They're disciplined. They're tough. Uh, They don't stray outside of what they do. They know who they are. And they're together and connected and, and bought into being physical, to play in every single possession. There's a reason they're still playing. It's, it's because of, of their attention to detail and the way they play. They approach every single possession. They're going to challenge everything.
1: So, Dusty, I don't know if this is a thing or not, you tell me, but your team plays in a gym that's got a seating capacity of 2,900, as you know, and the Final Four is a totally different animal altogether when you go into a stadium like NRG. Then we're talking about, I mean, not only does it look different for shooters, but we're talking about maybe in excess of 71,000 people. How big of a challenge is that? And then how do you go about preparing your team for such a massive setting?
2: Well, fortunately,
3: we'll get there a couple of days early and we'll be able to shoot on the court in that backdrop and get used to it. But to be honest, Jim, our guys during COVID, they would go shoot at the park and they would shoot on outdoor courts because the gym was closed. They love basketball. They weren't going to not get their get their work in. So we we talked about it, that it's probably a lot like shooting outdoors. You're going to have to probably uh, focus on your eyes and, and, and what you're looking at a little more than usual. But uh, it's the same advantage, disadvantage for, for every – San Diego State's got a bigger gym, but it's not a football stadium. So it's going to be different for everyone, but we've had the mindset all year that our, we're known as a three-point shooting team. But even if the, the shots don't go in, we're still going to be able to find a way to win, whether it's a, a wrestling match, a finesse, uh, an up-and-down game, a ballet, whatever it is. We feel like because of our roster roster versatility, we can figure out a way
1: to win. Hey, listen, I know you're not there just to be there. You're not there just to participate. You're there to take over. Let me finally ask you this, Dusty. It's not about you. You're never going to make it about you. But clearly, you have worked your plan. You've planned your work. Uh, Was the original plan really, in fact, that you wanted to be a high school coach at Indiana and did not aspire to more than that? I Just looking at your drive and focus, it's a great story, but I find that kind of hard to believe. Is that really how that was? 100%, never had any dreams
3: and aspirations of anything other than that. I was sitting in a video room as a uh, technically a junior, but a sophomore manager at Indiana, and one of the assistants asked me what I wanted to do, and I told him, and he said, college or or high school. And I didn't know there really was an option for me. And at that day, I I changed my major from education to history. I started driving assistant coaches to recruiting trips. I started coaching AU basketball in the summer and started preparing for a different route. Prior to that, I was student teaching and observing in classrooms.
1: So what, what happened? What, where was the seminal moment? Where was the fork in the road? You obviously always believed in yourself. How did you go from that guy to this guy?
3: There were a lot of forks in the road. It just, I think a vast array of experiences. I go from Bobby Knight at Indiana to working for Henry Bibby in LA at USC on a great part of a great team. And so it's just all these different experiences and who you're around and who you gravitate to and learn from and all the great players and great coaches I was able to learn from and they poured into me, I think just becomes a, a cumulative effort and, and uh, you just continue to grow and grow and grow and then you find yourself in the right place at the right time. And I don't think it's any more than that. I, I'm not doing anything different uh, than I did 20 years ago. I just feel like I've probably improved as a teacher and coach and, and communicator. But other than that, it's always been about the same thing, helping guys be the best they can be, enjoying it every day because we coach a child's game. And uh, it, it's really nothing bigger than that to me. I'm, we're all grossly overpaid to do something we love to do.
1: Except for one thing, Dusty, probably you haven't taken a day off in those 20 years. One quick follow because you and I talked about Bob Knight the last time he came on, but not Henry Bibby. What was that experience like? Henry Bibby, when he came here to L.A., he did a bang up job. What was your time with him like, and what was your biggest takeaway from working with him?
3: Just the way he communicated. He was a pro coach, he was much calmer. We practiced longer. It was everything we did was a was polar opposite of Coach Knight. So it was exactly what I needed because I thought Coach Knight, everything he said was the gospel. So it opened my eyes that there were other ways to do it. And probably because of our instant success, we went to the lead eight the first year, probably because of the the rapid success, then I thought, okay, well, there are there are other ways to do this. And so... It, it caused me to be more curious and try to improve and and, and, and dive into different areas of, of teaching and coaching that I wasn't very good at at that
1: time. Really interesting. He is the head coach of Florida Atlantic, his fifth year there. They had never won a tournament game prior to this year, and now they're on to the Final Four with a great, great matchup. Dusty, I appreciate you coming back on. Thanks for making time for us once again this week. Congratulations. It's been an amazing thing to see, and I know you're not done yet. Great to have you back. Thank
3: you, Jim. I really appreciate it.
1: Man, that is music. That is absolute music to my ears. You should know by now exactly what that sound represents, that that is the very best kind of notification you could ever hear. It is the sound of another sale on Shopify and the moment that another business dream has become a reality. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide it doesn't even matter what you're selling shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can focus on successfully growing your business i mean anything succulents or stilettos flaky salt or fine art prints all sorts of categories fashion home and garden health and beauty essentially anything shopify covers every sales channel from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, it even lets you sell across social media marketplaces like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 help and an extensive business course library, Shopify is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up right now for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com/slash Rome, R-O-M-E, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash R-O-M-E. It's good to see Lamar Jackson and that saga pick up right where he left off last week, which is to say it's getting worse and more and more weird and more and more toxic by the minute and just more and more strange and bizarre. Remember at the end of last week, it was all about his mysterious friend, slash business partner, slash non-certified agent, Ken Francis. You remember that whole thing? That figure, shady or otherwise, legitimate or otherwise, was the subject of a league-wide NFL memo essentially telling every team, do not talk to this dude. He might be a legitimate businessman. He might be a legitimate business partner of Lamar's. He might be a legitimate mentor. I don't know. I don't know the dude, but I'll tell you what he's not. He's not legitimately certified to be an agent by the NFLPA. So the league sent a memo to every single team. You are not to talk to this dude. If you're going to engage Lamar about Lamar's business, you engage Lamar about Lamar's business. So Lamar quickly denies that Ken Francis, whoever that is, is doing any negotiating for him, instead claiming that he and Ken were simply business partners and that their new product, quote, the entire gym, will be launching later this summer. So he, he either is or is not approaching teams about an offer sheet, or he's just partnering with him on the, quote, the entire gym. What was Chuck Norris not available? Anyway, I guess they want to get their own product out there. I wish I was making it up, but I'm not. And to prove I'm not, here is the actual infomercial for the entire gym, starring Lamar himself.
0: Combining outdoor training and a portable gym maximizes time and workout routines. with over 250 plus workout routines the entire gym brings you the flexibility to work out anywhere anytime
1: hey lamar you're welcome for the free pop you know what that would normally cost on this show you're welcome anyway that was then and lamar took to twitter today and coincidentally or not at all coincidentally. He took to Twitter right as his coach John Harbaugh was talking about his situation and talking about how, "Hey, listen. That's my guy. We're going to get him back. It's going to be great when we do." So, again, the Browns checked out the Ravens. Old habits die hard, don't they? The Ravens and John Harbaugh are like high road, high road, high road, high road, high road. That's our guy. We love this guy. We want this guy back. We're going to get this guy back. And when we do get this guy back, we're going to pick up right where we left off. High road, high road, high road. Lamar, at exactly almost the same time, was not high roading anybody. And he took to his phone and he thumbed out the following. Let me read this. A letter to my fans. I want to first thank you for all the love and support you consistently show towards me. All of you are amazing and I appreciate you all so much. I want you all to know not to believe everything you read about me. Let me personally answer your questions. Lamar Jackson at LJ underscore era eight. In regards to my future plans, as of March 2nd, I requested a trade from the Ravens organization for which the Ravens has not been interested in meeting my value. Any and everyone that's met me or been around me know I love the game of football and my dream is to help a team. You know, the second part of that, nobody disputes, right? We know this. We know you love football. We know it's your dream to help a team. That thing about they won't meet your value, though, that's what's in dispute. Lamar goes on to tweet, quote, and to win the Super Bowl. You all are great. But I had to make a business decision that was best for my family and I. No matter how far I go or where my career takes me, I'll continue to be close to my fans of Baltimore Flock Nation and the entire state of Maryland. Y'all see me again. Sort of cryptic. Sort of interesting. Sort of past tense. Sort of not. But there you have it. I mean, it's starting to look like it's getting worse and worse and worse. Again, on the one hand, you've got John Harbaugh meeting with the press saying, that's our guy. That's our guy. We love that guy. We want that guy back. We're going to get that guy back. And we're going to get back to doing what we did when we had him. And then there's Lamar saying, hey, you don't ask for a trade. I asked for a trade before they hit me with that franchise tag. And I will always love all you fans, but I had to make a business decision. So, now we know Lamar requested a trade nearly a month ago, even before Baltimore slapped that franchise tag on him. And again, to make things even more awkward, Awkward. Lamar timed up that tweet thread with his head coach speaking live at the owners' meetings. You know, to contradict what his coach was saying. Effectively to say, hey, listen... You're only getting one side of the story. This is not how this is. They're making, you know what he's saying? They're making me look bad. They're saying, we want him back. We want him back. We want him back. He's our guy. But I'm here to tell you, they're not negotiating. I'm paraphrasing. This is the implication. He didn't say this. I'm going to be very clear about that. The implication is they're not negotiating in good faith because they're not meeting my value, they're not meeting the way I value myself. He's kind of saying they're not meeting my market value. So he's tweeting this as Harbaugh is saying this. I haven't seen the tweet. It's an ongoing process. Uh, I'm I'm following it very closely, just like everybody else is here, and uh, looking forward to a resolution. I'm excited, thinking about Lamar all
4: the time, thinking about him as our quarterback. We're building our offense around that idea, and... uh,
1: I'm just looking forward to getting back to football and I'm confident that's going to happen. So high road, high road, high road. Little PR battle that they're looking to win, of course. They say nothing negative about Lamar. They're not trying to set him off or push him away. They're just saying, we want him, we want him, we want him. He's our guy. We're building around him. We want him. Actually, they're not doing Jack until they know what they have, right? They can't build around him. They don't know whether or not they have him. But, Bottom line, that's some hell of a quinky dink, isn't it? That as he's talking at the owner's meetings, Lamar is thumbing out these tweets. What a quinky dink. Or not a coincidence at all. So the Ravens themselves tweeted that clip out almost at exactly the same time Lamar was telling the world that he had already asked for a trade a month ago. Pretty aggressive move. Or a move where he felt like, hey, listen, I got to defend myself. I got to tell my side of the story. Here's the thing here's where I come out. Lamar says he requested a trade from the Ravens because the team, quote, has not been interested in meeting my value in contract talks. Let's stop right there. They're not interested in meeting my value is if Lamar is saying the value has been established. The market value. His market value has been established and they're not willing to meet it. He just said that. Not what I think I'm worth has not been interested in meeting my value in contract talks. See, Lamar, that's the thing. We don't know your value. What is your value? You know what your value is? Your value is what One team is willing to pay you. That's your value. I'm not even saying your value is what the market says your value is, but it's not even that. Your value is what one team is willing to pay you. All right? That one team that has your rights is not willing to pay you that. Secondarily, all right, well, then maybe another team will. But from what we've seen And since they hit you with that tag, it doesn't seem like any other team is willing to pay you, quote, your value. So is it your value or is it what you think your value is? There is a difference. Your value is what somebody is willing to pay you. Like Deshaun Watson, even I'd say, that's not his value, but it is. Because the Browns were willing to pay him that. And if the check doesn't rubberize, that's your value. Here's the other problem. You need to find somebody who, quote, will pay you your value. If it's not the Ravens, it has to be another team. If it's another team, and and I'm not even sure you can find another team to pay you, quote, your value. But if you can find that team, they also have to compensate you. So challenging enough to find another team to, quote, meet your value. But then they have to compensate the Ravens with a couple of draft picks. Number ones. There's your double whammy. That's what you're up against. I think you're confusing, quote, your value with what you think you're worth. Because if nobody is willing to pay you what you're asking for, it's not your value. It's what you think your value is. And again, I'm not picking a side here. I think there's a lot of blame to go around here. But as always... The best deal is the deal that leaves both sides pissed. Lamar is so dug in, though. And I think a lot of this is ego. I think this is a lot of—a lot of this is pride. And I think that a lot of it is principle. I think the guy really does believe, how the hell are you going to guarantee Deshaun Watson all that money and then expect me, a better player with a better career, to ask for even $1 less? I understand why he might have thought that. I understand why he might have continued to think that. But Lamar, it just seems to me on the outside looking in that the rest of the league sees that as an outlier and hates the Browns because of it. So, is it your value or is it what you think your value is? Can I tell you something? How many times have any of us negotiated a contract on our behalf And thought that we were worth a lot more money only to take what was offered because that was the value they set on us. Unless you can find somebody willing to give you what you want, that's not your value. How about that? That's the bottom line. Lamar said, I want to trade because they won't pay me my value. Your value is what somebody will pay you. Lamar, nobody's paying you this money so far. Or maybe, maybe you can find somebody to give you that money, but then the compensation is to hold up. Well, that's a problem too, right? And I'm not even convinced that you can find somebody to give you the guaranteed money you want. I know this. It's incredible how off the rails this thing is. It's incredible how one of the best things ever, and it was. It was one of the best things ever ever. A young stud, a unanimous MVP, the face of the franchise, one of the faces of the league, one of the most electric players ever, a transcendent talent starting his career in a community that loved him and he loved them and he loved his teammates. It was so good. How did that become this? I don't know. Exhibit A, Deshaun Watson and the Browns. But I know this, you can point the finger where you want, but we had one of the best situations ever, and now it's one of the worst. And it's not getting better. I don't see these two sides working their way towards the middle. Not if John Harbaugh is addressing the press. Man, how pissed do you think Harbaugh was to have everybody run back to him, hey, yo, coach, you see what your guy tweeted while you were talking? While you were saying... That's our guy. We want him back. We're going to get him back. It's going to get done. We're going to pick up right where we left off. When you were saying all that, that guy was tweeting the opposite. That guy was saying, I asked for a trade. They won't meet my value. I'm just looking forward to getting back to football, and I'm confident that's going to happen. I don't know. I think that Lamar would like to get back to football, too. It just doesn't sound like he would like to get back to football with you. If he's asking for a trade, what's your reaction? 1-800-636-8686. One of the big stories today. In addition to that, one of the other big stories was LeBron James made it back. And I want to say not a second too soon because they're still on the outside looking in. And then they get beat by Chicago soundly at the crypt. And again, they have to have. But LeBron... Man, he is some kind of fast healer, isn't he? How did he make it back so fast? There was talk about whether or not he may or may not make it back before the end of the regular season, but he makes it back with eight games left. How? How did he do that? Well, according to LeBron James, he sought out the LeBron James of feet. And that's how he made it back. Dude, you have become the LeBron James of insufferable. What a line. And then they lose to Chicago. Chicago. And then my man Stacy King piled on. All of that's still ahead. Dusty May, top of the hour. Wally Zerbiak coming up next hour. Let's get some reaction. Hey, Jim. Perhaps Lamar should have found the Lamar Jackson of agents. Robin Green Bay. Yeah, I think that's coming back to bite. Or, or any agent at all. I mean, I... Not, I mean, the Jamarcus Russell of agents would probably be better than what he has right now. Better than no agent. Jamie and Green Bay, quote, for an easy annual payment of fifty million a year, you can own an entire gym. If you order in the next 10 minutes, we'll throw in a free Lamar Jackson. Kind of.
0: Combining outdoor training and a portable gym maximizes time and workout routines. Why even play? Routines.
1: Why does he need to play when he's got the best business idea ever? Never mind that I see these mobile With gyms everywhere.
0: Plus workout routine
1: Wally Zerbiak joins me. Wally, it's good to have you back. How are you? I am great. How
4: you doing, Jim?
1: Good, Always fun good. to talk to you. Appreciate you, dude, very much. Hey, Wally, how bat bleep crazy is this tourney? And have you ever seen anything like it?
4: It's awesome. It really is. This is what March Madness is all about. Coming from a mid-major school like Miami, having a Cinderella run like we did, and now seeing a team like uh, Florida Atlantic in the Final Four, a team like San Diego State out of the Mountain West who we cover heavily in the final four um this is what it's all about uh you know a lot of high seeds are playing good basketball we expected this with the transfer portal so I absolutely love it. It's been a fun ride so far, and I can't wait to get to Houston.
1: Preach, I agree. Wally Zerbiak joining us. So why don't we talk about San Diego State for a minute. If you go to the end of that game, Creighton-San Diego State, clearly Creighton's Ryan Nemhard made contact with Darion Trammell. Do you think the refs made the right decision by calling a foul with less than two seconds left in a tie game, given the way the rest of the game had been officiated, Wally?
4: It was absolutely a foul um that was the right call you have to make that call at that time now you said it correctly there were a lot of other fouls that could have been called throughout the course of that game one I remember distinctly is when in the back co- in the backcourt T-Shad Johnson swiped at Ryan Nemhard, hit him on the wrist he hurt his wrist the wrist that he had broken last year and missed time but the whistle wasn't blown just because it was in the backcourt it really didn't affect the play when you officiate San Diego State You have to keep them honest on the defensive end of the floor. They're very strong. They're very smart. They're very experienced. They're an outstanding defensive team. Um, At the same time, every time you have the ball, they're going to swipe at it. They're going to try to knock it out of your hands. When you grab a rebound or a loose ball, they're going to be all over you, bumping you, grabbing you, holding you, and pushing you. And I think there were a lot of missed calls in that game that the officials did not keep San Diego State
1: honest. Mm, Wally Zerbiak is joining us. They are a really physical team, and they really get after you defensively. What about Miami? I mean, 17 years, Wally, after Jim Laranega led George Mason to the Final Four, He's done it again, leading Miami to the Final Four at age 73. Not only are they headed to Houston, but they came back from 13 down against a really good Texas team to punch that ticket. What do you like best about this Kane squad as they get ready for their first Final Four?
4: Well, first of all, Jim Laranaga is an outstanding coach. He really is. I remember battling against him when he was at Bowling Green uh, when I was a freshman and sophomore at Miami. That's where he kind of got his start. Um, his son played on the team. Now his son's coaching in the NBA. He was with the Celtics for a little while. So they are great basketball minds. And he did not panic down 13. He knew his team wasn't going to panic. He was continuing to shoot the ball well and score the ball well. And they didn't settle for threes. I give them a lot of credit. The game before, they torched Houston from the three-point line. Nigel Pack made seven threes. They saw they had an advantage. If they put their head down, and they drove the ball to the basket. They were rewarded with 32 free throws. They made 28 of them. They attacked in the mid-range. Isaiah Wong is one of the best mid-range scorers in the in college basketball, and they just continued to, you know, be the aggressors. And I always learned Flip Saunders, the late grade Flip Saunders as the coach, he said the more aggressive team will get the benefit of the doubt from the referees. And they continued to put their heads down and attack. Got themselves to the free throw line. I think Texas was scoreboard watching a little bit. They were settling for threes because they were on fire from the three-point line in the first half. They shot seven for thirteen. And once those threes didn't fall in the second half, that's when the momentum shifted, and Miami just continued to keep the foot on the gas and got the win.
1: Yeah, they did not flinch. They did not blink at all. And sidebar, I love Flip Saunders, one of my favorite guys. Wally Zerbiak joining us. Wally, what about UConn? They've been a monster. They've won their games by an average of 22 and a half. Dan Hurley is defeated teams coached by Rick Patino, Randy Bennett, Eric Musselman, and Mark Few, as wide open as this tournament has been. Do you recall seeing a dominant four-game stretch like the one UConn has had going into the final?
4: Gonzaga a few years ago. uh, They won by 15-plus all the way into the uh, final four uh, when they had that buzzer beater against um, UCLA. They were dominating their region. Nobody was even coming close to them. I think that was two years ago in the bubble, and that's exactly what UConn's been doing. I mean, this UConn team is too deep at every position. The fact that they have Adamasinogo, who was Big East Player of the Year, or maybe first-team All Big East, and they come off the bench with Don- with Donovan Klingen, who reminds me of Walker Kessler from last year—long, athletic, you know, really runs well, great defender. I mean, his arms look like they just keep going. Uh, it's just unfair, you know, what they have down in the post, and then their perimeter on defense is very, very athletic, very strong, very rangy, a lot like San Diego State and it makes it very difficult to beat them off the dribble. And if you do, you got those two guys protecting the rim. So I think UConn is definitely the favorites coming into the Final Four, and we'll see if anyone can compete with them because they've just been blowing through the competition.
1: See, I see it the same way. I think they really are the favorite. I mean, obviously, they're the ones to beat coming into the Final Four, but historically, these dominating teams going into the Final Four generally do not finish. Is there anything to that, and would that apply to this team?
4: Yeah. Um you gotta remember UConn lost six out of seven on a, in a stretch in the Big East this year. So they are gettable. And if I'm any of the, if I'm Miami, I'm watching those games and I'm trying to figure out how to slow this team down. Obviously they got back to their principles, which is defense and rebounding. They weren't doing that during that stretch when they lost games and it's also a credit to how good the Big East was. The Big East was just a joy to watch this year. There were a lot of good teams in that league, a lot of good coaches in that league. So they were really pushing UConn at that point, and I think that made them better. But I think there's a blueprint to beat them. I think you have to try to keep the game close with UConn. I think in a close game, they struggle to score because Hawkins is more of a catch-and-shoot guy. They don't really have a pick-and-roll playmaker. Justin Newton's a uh, great defender at the point guard position. And he's got great length, but he's not really a scorer. He's more of like a role guy that's a great defender um, and a glue guy. And then sometimes when you need to score down in the post with Sunogo, it's tough to get a guy the ball down the stretch with how physical the games can be. So the key to beating UConn is keep the game close, uh, just like Miami's been showing that they're really good down the stretch of games. They have guards that can finish.
1: I appreciate that. So they are the ones to beat, but they're gettable. Wally, I had Dusty May on earlier this hour. What do you make of Florida Atlantic? I mean, they're headed to the Final Four for the first time in school history as a nine. They had never even won a tournament game before, but they did win 35 games this year. What's curious to me, Wally, is they don't have anybody on that team averaging more than 14 points and only three who are averaging more than 10. What's that say about how well Dusty May has coached this team without having that one legitimate go-to guy who can consistently take over games and get you buckets? When necessary,
4: it's impossible to prepare for them because they have every—they have guys coming off the bench that can be their leading scores. Uh, the key to that team is uh, is Vladislav Golden. I mean, he transferred in from Texas Tech, so he is legit power five, you know, size. You know, that guy in the middle protects the rim, plays a lot like you know some of the big men on UConn, and when you have that piece you know, normally mid-major type teams don't have that type of big man, but the fact that they have that piece protecting the rim, and he was great scoring over smaller guys in the, last, in the last matchup against K-State, then you can play four guys around him that can switch everything, that are just relentless, you know, catching, getting all those loose rebounds, and that's what this team does. They move the ball. They're strong. I mean, the power that those guards have is impressive. Elijah Martin. I love his game. He's built like a brick. I mean, that guy is strong. He's tough to get around. They're built a lot like San Diego State. They're a a little bit older team. Um, They're a strong team. They've put in the work in the weight room and obviously on the floor. So that's what makes them so good. And they can, no doubt in my mind, can they cut down the nets in Houston.
1: Wally Zerbiak breaking it all down for us. Before you go, I'd really like to get your thoughts on Kansas State's Marquise Noel. He backed up his tournament record. Wally, 19-assist game in that Sweet 16 win by going 30 points and 12 assists in the loss to FAU. I mean, this dude was just electric and all heart. That said, the association is a different deal. You know the league as well as anybody. Do you think that the five foot eight Noel projects in the NBA? And if so, how well? What's his future look like to you?
4: Um, well, there's you know, Jose Alvarado has made a great career for himself in the NBA, but he's done it with his defense. The key with Marquise Noel is how can he defend? you got to remember a guy like Jimmer Fredette was an incredible scorer in the uh, NCAA tournament and in college. And then when he got to the NBA, he's a high draft pick. He was tenth pick in the draft. He just couldn't guard his position. That's going to be the key for Marquise Noel. Can he guard his position? Because offensively, he is like Trey Young in the pick and roll. I mean, he sees angles. He sees passing lanes. He's outstanding uh, in commanding a team and running a team. And he's also a great shooter who can shoot out to 30 feet. So the offensive part is not an issue with me. It's just going to be on the defensive end. Can he defend his position at that size? Remember a guy, Earl Boykins, who I played against back at Eastern Michigan and Miami of Ohio. He had a great NBA career with the Denver Nuggets and a couple other teams. But he was more of a scorer. You know, that was his job off the bench, kind of like a Vinnie Johnson microwave type. Um, So we'll see. I think there's a place for a guy like that somewhere on a roster. Uh, but it'll be to be determined whether or not he can defend his position.
1: Boykin's had a really nice career really quickly, Wally, because you know the Knicks as well as anybody who cover them. What do they look like to you? Like in Julius Randle, you've got a guy averaging a double-double. You've got Jalen Brunson, who I think was a great pickup. Are they built (laughs) to not only make the postseason, but do damage once they get there this year?
4: Well, if they hold on to the five-seed, I think they have a chance against Cleveland. I think they would struggle against Embiid and Harden. In the playoffs, I think uh, Philly, if they're the three seed, and the Knicks are the six seed, that would be a tough matchup for them. Listen, they've had a they've had a really really good year. I mean, I think they've really outkicked expectations. Julius Randle bounced back after a tough year last year. He's probably going to be All NBA second or third team, made the All Star team, and Brunson has solidified the point guard position, which the Knicks haven't had in years, and he's tran- transformed the franchise with that offseason season um free agent signing so the Knicks are in a good place their roster is young 23 and a half years old is their average age for their roster so the future is bright they have some cap room they have some draft picks and they just need to continue to get better and this year was a great step in the right direction
1: hey Wally you're always great but never better than right now really appreciate you Wally thanks so much anytime Jimmy that's how you close the show man what a great job Wally Zerbiak. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky, shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? LeBron returned from his foot injury yesterday, which should have been the best news ever for Laker fan remember, when LeGM initially heard a pop, there were fears that we would not see him again for the rest of the regular season. We had the live audio of the injury too, and I gotta admit, it did not sound good. In fact, it sounded really, really rough. It sounded like this <laughs> Brutal, right? Like that did not sound good. You can clearly hear the pop and his reaction.) <laughs> that's one of the toughest guys ever. Except yesterday, LeBron made his return to the court with eight games remaining in the regular season. And the Lakers holding onto a playing spot. So, who do we have to thank for LeFib's early return from that devastating foot injury that sounded so terrible? I mean, never mind season ending. That sounded career ending. Never mind career ending. That sounded life ending. That sounded terrible. I should give a disclaimer like this next sound bite is extremely graphic in nature. You might want to turn away. This Anyway, it turns out, and somehow, some way this guy made it back. He made it back with eight games left. How? I mean I know he's a fast healer. How? It turns out the person we have to thank is, quote, the LeBron James of feet. Now, I had no idea there was such a thing as the LeBron James of feet. But according to LeBron James, the LeBron James of feet does exist and also cleared LeBron James to return to action because the LeBron James of feet said so. Did
4: anyone ever suggest surgery?
5: Yeah, two doctors.
1: Why did you decide against it?
5: Because I went to LeBron James of Feet. and he <laughs> told me I shouldn't.
4: The, um, did any? I'm
5: not, uh, nah. I'm not done. <laughs> are,
4: are you going to need surgery on this after this season?
5: Um, I don't know. Um, right now I don't need it, so uh, we'll see what happens. Um, I'll probably get another MRI at the end of the season and uh, and go from there. Um, but if I, get, if I end up having to get surgery um, after the season, you guys won't know. I don't talk to you guys in offseason, and by the time next season starts, I'll be fine. we will be ready to go.
1: <laughs> Insufferable mush. The, Le- John- the LeBron James of feet cleared me. Yes, but do you need surgery? Maybe. I don't know. And if I do get it, you won't know, because I don't talk to you guys, because you're not the LeBron James of reporters. So I'm not talking to you in the LeBron James of the offseason. I mean this dude can't be serious. He's gotta be trolling us, right? Or maybe just trolling Rex Ryan.
5: Foot, foot, feet, feet, chose, chose, foot, foot, feet, feet, chose, chose, foot, foot, feed, feed, chose, I mean, no chose, foot, foot feet, feet, there's chose. There's no way this dude is for real. There's no way this dude is actually
1: foot, foot, this insufferable. Feet, feet, chose, Even cringerous it's is like, my dude, chose, you're chose, stepping feet, on my brand. Chose, That's my brand. Cringe and being built like a sack of potatoes. My brands, man. My lane. Stay the hell out my lane. The LeBron James of Feet told him that he could play.
5: Because I'm confused I went to LeBron though. James of Did Feet?
1: I'm confused though. Did the LeBron James of feet skip med school and go right from prep school to practicing medicine? Was the LeBron James Effite on the cover of the Podiatry Illustrated as a high school junior? Did the LeBron James effete announce which practice he was going to work at in a televised special? Like, I'm taking my talents to South Beach Podiatry Center. We're going to have not one, not two, not three, not four, but five bunion removals in the first year. That's us guarantee
5: this form I'm going to take my talents to South Beach. and LeBron,
1: um, my dude, you're the LeBron James now of being an insufferable bag. You're the LeBron James of sucking all the air out of every room that you walk into now with statements like that. You're the LeBron James of ruining iconic movie franchises and causing my sons to projectile vomit all over each other in public. And all that just to come back and get curb stomped by the Bulls and clowned by Pat Bev. Man, Pat Bev. Pat Bev was on one yesterday against his former team. Remember how he tried to tell us that the Lakers did not fire him, that he fired the Lakers? Pat Bev said, quote, I was a spoon and they used me as a fork, end of quote. Then yesterday he showed up back in L.A. and stuck a fork in the bronze big return. My man literally too-smalled LeBron, right to his face, which I have to say is pretty freaking hilarious considering the dude who too-smalled LeBron (laughs) is giving up at least eight inches to LeBron. Hey, LeBron, you are the LeBron James of getting clowned to your face while losing a critical game at home to a sub-500 team by a former teammate. And Pat Bev, being Pat Bev, was only getting started. He also trolled the hell out of Shannon Sharp, shitting courts or sitting courtside, telling him his Lakers oh. stink and holding his nose. Which led to this from Stacey King, legend, on the Bulls broadcast.
0: Skip, skip, I'm tell you something. That was uncalled for what <laughs> oh,
5: Patrick God. Beverly did to me at the Lakers game. I'm tell oh, you, you so. skip, skip, skip.
0: what can the bulls do right now what, what? I'm a bull
1: Stacy King if you need him man wow you know I normally do not comment on other broadcasters I've got my own show to do I've always said I do my show I interview athletes they talk about me I don't do that I've never been about that but but Stacy King is incredible and I have said that for a long time. let me also say this. The Bulls had one hell of a time in the Lakers' house yesterday. The Bulls basically showed that they are the LeBron James of humiliating LeBron James and the Lakers. LeBron James saying that I went to the LeBron James of feet is maybe the baggiest thing I've ever heard a legend say.
5: Because I went to the LeBron James of
1: feet. Again, you're third-personing yourself and then third-personing yourself into a third-person physician or a third-person vendor? Did you feet. go to the LeBron James of car washes too? Did you go to the LeBron James of Mexican restaurants? Did you go to the LeBron James of Taylor's? Did you go to the LeBron James of supermarkets? He should go to because the LeBron, to LeBron James, James, of, James of, of everything. Feet. Everything. Like, like me. I'm the LeBron James of radio hosts.
5: Because I went to the LeBron James of feet.
1: I do the LeBron James. I'm the LeBron James of interviewers. I, I'd even go as far as to say that I'm the LeBron James of human beings.
5: Because I went to the LeBron James of feet.
1: What was that? He almost paused there expecting the entire room either to fall out Or for people to look at him like, dude, bag much?
5: Because I went to the LeBron James of feet.
1: I went to the LeBron James of feet? LeBron, can we just walk back for a minute and look at that and analyze that? LeBron James just told the assembled media, oh, I'm back because I went to the LeBron James of
5: feet. Because I went to the LeBron James of feet.
1: Damn, dude, that is an epic house. Of course, I had the LeBron James of home builders build it. Max in San Diego. What's going on, Max? How are you?
0: Rome, this team is special. This city is behind them. This county is behind them. From all the way up in Oceanside, all the way down to San Isidro, all the way up to the mountains in Julian. You can hear and you can see Aztec for life. Now, the biggest chip on this team's shoulder, Rome, is that 2020 March Madness Cancellation Tournament. That was the biggest what-if in the history of this program, and now with this appearance in the Final Four, it's not a matter of if, but when. You understand? You feel me? Now, for Coach McDermott and the Blue Jays, that's, by, that's basketball, baby. All right. But for Coach Oates and the boys from Alabama, all I can say is this. The right place would have been Tuscaloosa, and the right time would have been year-round because that's where those bloated pachyderms belong. All right, but I'm just a man on a phone, Rome. You're on that 50,000-watt blowtorch. So when they ask, who is it going to be, you tell them, Rome. San Diego
1: State, out. You got it, Max. I appreciate it. That's the sort of energy I'm looking for. Look, it's been a really nice program. They're not coming out of nowhere. It's been a really nice program for a number of years right now. But to do what they've done, to do Bama, the number one overall seed, the way they did – especially while Bama, they're all over the phone lines. Let's go to San Diego. John, good to have you. What's going on?
6: Hey, good morning, Mr. Rome. How are you doing today? Good, dude. How about you? Oh, I'm doing great. So a lot of us, you have to forgive me, because a lot of us were out there. We were under the command last night of uh, Captain Morgan, and we found a couple of John Jameson's barrels at the Battle of the Middle Ocean, but that's okay. Hey, San Diego State, this has been a journey. Anybody in this city knows this has been a 24-year journey. For history lesson, real quick for everybody out there, Brian Dutcher has been, was Steve Fisher's assistant, and he's the one that recruited the Fab Five. They came here in 99. Fisher got this team into the tournament in six years, and now in six years, Brian Dutcher has them in the Final Four. Okay, and anybody in San Diego that actually thought that we would make the Final Four in 99 is lying, and I'm a native San Diegan. Those two men went full-blown Lazarus on this program. It was dead. They were giving away tickets, okay, to to, to watch this team. And now here we are, all right, and props to Creighton. I love Creighton. I always love it when Creighton and San Diego State play. I always, because of the fact, I feel that it's a good measuring bar if, for what our season is going to be. They play each other; they're not afraid of each other in the in the um, in the non conference. Props to them, and especially props to their coach. Yes, I'm not going to sit here and talk about the call, especially because it went in my favor this time. All right, understand. A lot of us, and a lot of us here in San Diego, we're still not over a non call in '98 with the Padres. That's another story, but. This team is on a run, this team believes in themselves, and this team fundamentally believes that they can beat anybody in the country, and that's the way it is. And then you've got this, and we're about to roll into baseball season on Thursday, and this team and this Padre team is loaded and they're ready to go, okay? And I know a lot of Dodger fans that, that are fundamentally scared now, and that's okay too. San Diego is about to start collecting parades. We're about to start collecting rings, and it's a beautiful thing. I've been waiting my whole life for this, and it's wonderful, and I'm glad to be a part of it. San Diego, what all Dutcher did was they had a golden opportunity, and they punched their ticket. I'm out.
1: Nice job, Rakim. America's finest city. Getting better by the minute. I love it. We go to Miami quickly. Dave in Miami. Good to have you, Dave. How are you? All right, Big Jim, how you doing? Good, dude. Good. How are you? All right. Yeah, I
0: just
2: wanted to say, that, hey, UConn, uh, you know, nobody's giving the Hurricanes a chance here. They are playing real well. You know, the the thing with them is they stay out of foul trouble. It's going to be a game. I know everybody's already given people, uh, given UConn a championship, but uh, don't count out Larinaga. He's a great game coach. He'll make changes when he, you know, when he needs them. And as the game goes on, he'll play to his, you know, his strengths. So just trying to, you know, talk up the canes a little bit. It's not only a football school anymore, uh, but it's a basketball school. Two, two um, uh, you know, Final Eight, Final Six, uh, uh, Final Four, and a couple years ago, also a Sweet Sixteen. So he's done a great job there in the uh, 11 years he's been there.
1: Brian in Seatown. Hey, Brian, how are you? What's going on?
2: What's up, Romy, man? Good to
1: talk to you. You too.
2: Uh, first thing, uh, talking about LeBron real quickly, I'm glad he's your problem now because the Cavs- I've made the playoffs now for the first time in five years, which is awesome. Good young team. Uh, As far as this whole situation with Lamar and Cleveland, desperate times call for desperate measures. All right. We thought we had our franchise quarterback. We didn't. We did what we had to do to get Lamar in here. And from a Cleveland Brown standpoint, you know what? Or not Lamar, I'm sorry. Lamar out of the AFC North and uh, got Deshaun Watson into the AFC North. So looking at our standpoint, we're loving every minute of it. Cue it, Alvy.
1: I'm out. Cue what? Cue what? Cue what? Whatever it is he wants to cue Alvin, don't cue it. Good night night no!